also be in Isaiah uh, a good amount this morning, but in 2 Kings chapter 20, uh, we're continuing our study here of uh, Hezekiah, and uh, we've spoken about Hezekiah's pride, uh, about his sickness, and um, uh, there's also Isaiah's prophecy about what would go on, and uh, uh, that Isaiah had given a prophecy concerning Babylon coming, and that Babylon would eventually take them over, and uh, God has been patient with Hezekiah. Uh, in uh, Hez- uh, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 19, Then said Hezekiah uh, unto Isra- Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord, which thou hast spoken. He said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? And You know what? Hezekiah had a sigh of relief that the judgment would not come during his time, but, you know, really it's an acceptance of God's will. And, uh, you know, how would you like it? And we know down the road, you know, one of the things that I think is a fear for myself uh, is for my daughter. What are the days that she's going to face? You know, what is the wickedness and evil that uh, Eliana is going to face? You know, you think about all the way our world is going today, and uh, it's incumbent upon us as believers uh, to be a witness for Christ, because we know that the only hope is uh, Jesus Christ. And Second Chronicles chapter thirty-two twenty-six. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. You know what God's desire is for our lives is a a humility. And uh, over and over you find that uh, a a humility of a king would lead to a sparing of the people. And uh, Hezekiah was a commander. In 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 1 through 8, let's look here at the next uh, uh, passage. But uh, one of the things that Hezekiah was greatly humbled, and uh, you can be doing great things in your life, seeing God do wonderful things only to shortly thereafter face a time of humiliation, shame. Uh, because you begin to get ahead of the Lord. You begin to go where God doesn't want you to go. And, and God's very patient with us. Uh, God is also very caring to humble us. Now, at the time that you're being humbled and your pride is being totally wiped out, uh, you're thinking, this really is hard. This is difficult. But I'm thankful that God sees fit to know what we need to humble us from our own pride because our pride will lead to our destruction. And God's desire is not for us to be destroyed, but to, to live abundantly with him, right? The abundant Christian life. And so here in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 1 through 8, would you follow along with me? 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verses 1 through 8. And Hezekiah has a preparation for the Assyrians that are coming. Now, after the Assyrians will eventually be the Babylonians. And uh, you remember that Hezekiah had... Uh, uh, given some of the gold, the, the handles from the temple, he gave those to the Assyrians. Uh, they were pacified in their attack, uh, but they came back. And uh, realize this, that though an enemy may come into your life, they're going to continue to try to attack you. And where you've been weak, they, he will continue to attack. Satan will find your weakness, and he will continue to attack your vulnerability there. And so unless you stay close to the Lord, you will be smitten. You will, be, you will fall. And so, uh, and, and, and again, as a king, you see God doing great things. He wiped out all the idolatry from the temple, from the land. Uh, they had a wonderful Passover. I mean, it was like, they were, there was holiness, there was revival. But in the state of revival, slowly creeped up 
a little bit of pride and a little more and a little more until when trouble came, they no longer went to the Lord. They simply just gave their money in gold, which belonged to God, they would give to the Assyrians. And God humbled him, and, and Hezekiah would get very sick. Now, as the Assyrians are coming back to attack, look with me here, Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 8, uh, 1 through 8. After these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains which were without the city, and they did help them. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself. You know what? So here in verses 1 through 4, Hezekiah, there's water going outside the city. Well, he said, well, why should we feed our enemies? Why should we refresh our enemies to give them water? Why don't we stop the water within the city gates? We'll keep it for ourselves and try to, to you know, get them a drought so they have no refreshment. And then they'll just leave. So he's thinking ahead, and, and that's very wise of him. Verse 5. Also, he strengthened himself and built up all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without and repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the city, street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. Now, how can he make this statement? Verse 8 will tell us why he can make this statement. And he's trying, so Hezekiah does something amazing. He says, we are under attack. Let's stop the water. Let's build up our walls. Hey, there's more with us than there was with them. What do you mean, Hezekiah? We're still a small city. Well, verse 8, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people, what did they do? Rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. So he knows they're coming. He knows they're coming against him. He unites the people. He gives them sympathy. He has a strategy. You know what? What is needed in the time of uh, attack from the enemy is a leader to step forward and saying, let's do it God's way. Let's build it up. Let's refresh ourselves. Let's build up our walls. Hey, you know what? What does a wall do? A wall is a thing of separation. Separation is a good thing. We want a separation from the world. I don't want to look like the world. I shouldn't have a speech of the world. Why is separation needed in the Christian's life? Because separation distinguishes us, but that separation is also a wall of protection. Now, I'm not talking a separation uh, like the Amish, where you're totally secluded from society. I'm not saying that. God says, be in the world, but not of the world. But he blocks off this water supply, he doesn't want them to have the water. I mean, if they bring it, that's fine. But uh, Hezekiah had the wall of Jerusalem repaired and strengthened. And you think all about all of this. I mean, he's organizing the army. He appoints officers. He gave the weapons. But he did something else. You can have an army that's up against a very fierce military. As you think about the Assyrians, they would have heard that the Assyrians had defeated this land, and this nation, and this nation, and this nation. Well, to a, a, a normal mind, that's going to strike fear. If you think about all the destruction that is coming of all these different places. 
But Hezekiah does something very important. He encourages his men for the battle that lay ahead. The battle hasn't come. You see, Christian, if you're not understanding where your victory lies before you go into battle, when you're in, vict- when you're in battle, you won't be victorious. You've got to have that foundation before you're in the battles. That is why when you have the Word of God on a daily basis, you encourage your people to trust God. This book cannot just be a Sunday activity. This, I cannot feed you what you need every day. I cannot give you what you need on a daily basis. Only the Spirit of God can through the Word of God. And after his near-fatal illness in the year 702 B.C., there was a visit of the envoys of the Babylonians, and he made a great mistake. The Syrian army would chose Lachish for their central camp 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem, and they brought a great host against Jerusalem. These people are seeing unbelievable destruction coming. They're seeing a tremendous amount of of army and soldiers just outside their walls. I want you to think about that. When you are facing unbelievable odds and you have an attack potentially against your character, against your person, against your family, against the church, what do you do? I'd like us to look here at something that happens in Hezekiah. Let's look at Isaiah chapter uh, 22. Isaiah chapter 22. And maybe you may be in a battle right now, fierce, raging. And there are times, there's enemies, uh, and, and sometimes some of your greatest friends can also be your greatest foes in disguise. Isaiah chapter 22, verse 15. And Hezekiah, representing Hezekiah, were Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the recorder. And we're going to read about this. And um, Isaiah twenty-two fifteen. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go get thee unto this treasure, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and say, What hast thou here? And whom hast thou here? But thou hast hewed thee out a sepulchre here, as he that heweth out a sepulchre on high, and that graveth an habitation for himself in a rock. Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity, and will surely cover thee. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There sh- uh, shalt thou die, and there the chariots of thy glory shall be the shame of the Lord's house. And I will drive thee from thy station, and from the, thy state shall he pull thee down. It shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house, and they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring uh, of uh, the offspring of the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord has spoken it. And 
uh, there's some titles and, and there's a destruction that is prophesied here against these very Assyrians. And uh, look with me at Isaiah 26.3. Isaiah predicted the Assyrians are going to return and they are going to be destroyed. But Isaiah 26.3. I want you to look with me at this verse. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. The key to the Christian life is a humility to simply trust. You see, they had met at the place where Isaiah had confronted the Assyrian, uh, had confronted Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, and told him not to make a treaty with the Assyrians. Israel and Isaiah had predicted that they were going to attack again. The six officers didn't have a quiet conversation, but stood far enough apart that the field commander had to raise his voice. And, and uh, as you think a little bit further, we're going to come back and look uh, some more of this. But God says, perfect peace. How? Mind stayed on thee, God. That word stayed is you're principally put to keep your heart and your mind in the face of adversity and temptation and struggles. God, I'm just going to trust you. I might, my emotions might be saying, do something. My thoughts might be telling me to do something. But I know in my heart, I know in my spirit, I am supposed to do what God's called me to do. And you want to run. You want to give up. You want to leave. Because it's uncomfortable. You want to flee that situation because every part of you want, desires that it's not good. But God calls us. He says, trust me and you can have peace. Now, as we come back to 2 Kings chapter 18, you're going to face some things in your life far beyond and you're saying, God, I cannot do this. I cannot go on. God, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm worn out. I'm fatigued. And you know there's a battle ahead, and you said, I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Because as we just looked there in Isaiah, that will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Christian, keep your nose in the book. Keep your mind focused right. Resist the pride to solve the problem your way and say, God, I need it your way. I'd like you to look with me here at 2 Kings 18, verse 26. Then said Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joe unto Rabshakeh, Speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language. For we understand and talk not with us in the Jews' language, in the ears of the people that are on the wall, but Rabshakeh said unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy master, and to thee to speak these words, hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall, that they may eat their own dung and drink their own piss with you? Oh my word. Oh my word. That's, <laughs> that's some pretty direct language there. 
the, the, the leaders of Israel, or Judah, they're saying, please don't speak the Hebrew language. Rob Shekin says, I want them all to hear my language. You know what the enemies desire for you. He wants you to hear his words. He wants you to hear all that he has. He wants you to keep your mind upon all the evil that is advancing. If your mind is upon the evil that's advancing, your mind is not stayed on the end, you will not have peace within. You can, and this is where I, I know for myself, I've had to pull back. The news is, the news makes money by talking about the bad. It does. That's how they continue. The curiosity to know all that's coming bad, so you get frustrated and you have something to talk about during coffee hour. Correct? Look at all that's happening. Look at our nation. Da, 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 da. But if I, my mind is stayed on that, I'm not, I'm not producing the peace. Now, it is important to identify three speeches if we want to understand the dynamics of this event. Let's look at, <clears throat> so we read some of this. In verse 28, of 2 Kings 18. Then Rabsekah stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. And this city shall not be delivered unto the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah. But thus saith the king of Assyria, make an agreement with me, buy a present, and come out to me. And then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his own and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive and of honey, that ye may live and not die, and hearken not unto Hezekiah. When he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim, Hena, and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of mine hand? Who are they among all the gods of the country that have delivered their country out of mine hand? But the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of mine hand. Whew. Those are some very stark, blasphemous words. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. This field commander, as you think on this, you know, the commander speaks to Hezekiah and the Jews, and he blasphemes their God. He said, no one can deliver out of my hand. I've defeated all these nations. They were religious. I defeated them. Your God can't do it either. Don't Listen to Hezekiah. You want to know something here that's actually pretty amazing? I find some parallels today with what's going on over in Israel and Gaza. They said, we'll take you to a land like your own. Well, why can't they stay in their own land? Why do they have to be removed? Why do they have to go into captivity? It's just like the hostages today that are in uh, Gaza, and they, when some of them are released, they're all waving and they're smiling. Well, Hamas has told them, told them you need to smile. We're all humane. Well, if you're humane in the first place, why did you take them hostage? That's not humane. I mean, you think about this. It's a wicked, wicked, but they, they try to play mind games. We'll take you to a land like your own. No, you won't. You're a bunch of liars, and you're led by a liar. He weaves the message, the commander here weaves his message across. 
He wasn't concerned with the truth. You know, I, I find it something also interesting. You go back to the story of David and Goliath. And, and here's another great example of a lie. It was given to Goliath to say, if somebody defeats me, we will serve you. If we defeat you, you serve us. Now, as you read the account of David and Goliath, I'm just going off here a little rabbit trail, but I think it's important. Did the Philistines serve the Israelites after that battle? No, they ran. But they didn't serve the Israelites afterwards. So what Goliath made was a false promise. The Israelites surely would have gone into bondage. You know what? Satan gives us promises all day long that will help us, or so we think, if you'll just compromise. You're not going to get what he promised. The basic theme here in 2 Kings 18 is put your faith in me, the Assyrian king, not in your God. You know, it's, uh, 2 Chronicles 32.10. Thus saith Sennacherib, king of Assyria, whereon do ye trust that ye abide in the siege of Jerusalem? Where is your trust? Is your trust in the government to provide for you? Is your trust in the employer to provide for you? Is your trust in a person or is it in God? Now, I understand there's a level of confidence that we place in our employers. There's a level of confidence we place in other things. But at the end of the day, my trust is not in any person. Don't place the You know, your, your trust is not in me. Your trust is in God. I can fail you. I will fail you from time to time. It's not my endeavor, but I will fail you. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 36. We'll come back here to 2 Kings, but... You see, trust is at the very key part of the Christian life. Trust is saying to God, I need you and I can't do it. I can't solve my problems. I can't fix my life. I can't do it my way. So God, I'm going to do it your way. Isaiah chapter 36, verse 4. And Rabshakeh said unto them, that remember this is the messenger from Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Say ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Rabshakeh is trying, much like Satan does, to pull your confidence away from God, because something didn't go the way you wanted it to do. Something, a path, uh, some scenario in your life that you thought was going to happen in a particular way didn't go the way you wanted it, so you withdraw your confidence from God, and you put it in something or someone else. I say, sayest thou, further on, verse 5 here in Isaiah 36, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust? That thou rebellest against me. Think about this. Rebellest against me. You are either going to rebel against God or rebel against the world. Who do you seek to be a rebel against? The Bible tells us 
the rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and, and stubbornness is as a sin of... Uh, <laughs> rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as... I'm drawing a blank on that verse. Anyways, I will get back to you on that one. But I, it does say rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft in the Scriptures. Now, can anybody deliver you? Can anybody deliver you from my hand, says the Assyrian king? He repeats it. How does this play out in the Christian life? Rabshakeh failed to realize he was up against the Jehovah who is the great king. I want you to turn with me Isaiah 47.2. Maybe someone is telling you, I want you to do this. I want you to follow me here. This all makes sense, right? And you're like, yeah, it makes sense. But it's not right. You've tried that prayer thing. It just doesn't work. I had someone tell me here one time in church, and I was quite aghast at the statement. Uh, They said, I've gone through great struggles in my life. They elaborate a little bit more. but And they said, I've tried reading that Bible thing, and it just doesn't work. Are you kidding me? How? I was like, whoa. (sighs) My mind was blown when I heard that statement. And I was rather frustrated. I was agitated because I was like, that is a wicked, evil statement. Look with me at Psalm 47.2. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the Psalm 48, 2. Beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Someday, Jesus will sit on the the kingship, the throne there in Jerusalem. This king begins to go against and name that Judah who they were trusting and that they were rebels and that they would fail. Now, Christian, you can be up against some very fierce opposition in your life. And our natural inclination as a believer is to fear, to fret, to worry. We're listening to the voice of Rob Shechem. We're listening to the voice of one saying, are you going to rebel against me? No. We're all guilty of this. This king, will, this commander, he says, listen, we've defeated the Egyptians. The Egyptians can't help you. There had always been an Egyptian party that could help Judah after the kingdom divided. But not now. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 30. God has some words here for Egypt, for Israel, excuse me. Judah specifically. I'm spilling tea on myself. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1. What does God say here to Judah? Woe to the rebellious, Isaiah 30, verse 1. 
Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that taketh counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. God just says something here unbelievable. He says, you will trust in man and you're going to find shame. <clears throat> Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. You might be trusting in your own wit, your own knowledge, your own inventions of how to solve the problem, only to be seriously confused. For his princes were at Zoan and his ambassadors came to Hanes. Therefore, they were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them, nor be in help, nor profit, but a shame, and also reproach the burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish. From whence come the young and old lion, the viper, and fiery, uh, fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon their shoulders of young asses, and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them. For the Egyptians shall help in vain. To no purpose, therefore have I cried concerning this, their strength is to sit still. Chapter 31, verse 1. Verse 1 of Isaiah 31. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not on the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord, yet he also is wise, and will bring evil, and will not call back his words, but will rise against the house of the evildoers, and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men, and not God, and their horses flesh, and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is hoping shall fall down, and they shall all fail together. He's saying Egypt is a splintered reed that's going to hurt you. You're going to go down a path and multiply hurt to you because you've trusted in a man, you've trusted in a person, you've trusted in a people to help rescue you, and it will be your downfall. Have you ever gone with someone, you've trusted in them to help you, you've trusted in them to be a great benefit to you, only to be greatly disappointed in the fact that they were a great hindrance. You can go upon the notions that this is going to work out a great idea. This all makes sense from a human perspective. But from God's perspective, you've gone down to Egypt. And that very phrase, that woe to them to go down to Egypt, is the idea, I'm going to the world, I'm going to man's inventions, I'm going to my own devices for my help. You see, the problem that we have as believers is we trust in ourselves and we trust in others before we ever go to God. When we are finally have gone down to Egypt, we've gotten some help only to realize that it stabbed us in the back or that it hurt us greater or that we're further down the road of being at odds with God, then we're discouraged. And it's when we're in that broken state, much like Hezekiah was, when he was physically disabled, he was sick, near death, and he finally humbled himself. You know, 
I hate this whole pride thing. It's not until God, you know, really knocks our feet from out under us that we finally come to our senses and say, God, okay, I need your help. How do I do this? How do I fix this? How could they trust Jehovah when Hezekiah, you know, had removed all the altars of the Lord from the city? And, and, and this is a saying. I mean, this is what Rob Shekha, he's like, listen, you've gotten rid of all your idols, all your altars. Hezekiah can't help you. You've gotten rid of all the gods that could help you. You're useless. You're helpless. Christian, you're struggling right now. You know when you were in the party days and you were back with your old friends? You know you always had someone that had your back? So you think. Falsely. You know what, sometimes, wouldn't it be better just to go back to the days where I had the friends? I'm talking sarcastically here. This is not what I'm advocating, okay? It's just too hard. It's lonely as a Christian. It's lonely to go forward. I can't do it alone. You know what, it's okay to compromise. I, I need that company. I need, I need the Egyptians. Was the Lord pleased with what Hezekiah did in removing the altars? He was. And what Rabshakeh tries to do is he tries to come in and find those people who are unhappy. The people who are weak. The people who are disgruntled. The people who are discouraged. Because they see a large army coming against them. I thought we had revival, God. The Assyrians are coming against us. We must have done something wrong. You know what? You can be doing something great for God, and all of a sudden, man, out of the blue, you're just sideswiped. And you're like, what in the world? Did I sin? No, God wants to keep you humble, and he also wants to keep you trusting in him. The commander was so bold as to affirm that he and the Assyrians' army had to come to Jerusalem in obedience to the commandment of the Lord. I mean, absolute blasphemy. 2 Kings 18.25, Am I now come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. <laughs> the audacity. There are people in your life who will profess the name of the Lord, but they are not of God. You will have friends that will be professing believers, but the direction they're going, they'll say, this is up, thus saith the Lord, but it's not of God. It reminds me of the story, if you look in the book of Judges, of the very, uh, or in, in the historical books, there was this priest, or this priest, prophet that was told to go to Jeroboam, and we've talked about it there in 1 Kings, this, pre, this prophet was told to go to Jeroboam, tell him, hey, what you're doing is wrong, and then God told him, go back home, don't stop, don't eat, don't do anything. Well, as he's on his way back home, this old prophet tells him, hey, God told me, you need to come stay with me. You need to come eat with me. So he goes in, he eats, he goes outside, and God said, you disobeyed me, and a lion kills him. Uh-oh. Christian, if I get off path of trusting and a mind that is set on God and I place it upon someone else, you are ripe pickings for the enemy. After all, the Lord had used Assyria to chase and destroy the kingdom of Israel. Wouldn't he use Assyria to conquer Judah? I mean, the year 586 B.C., Israel was destroyed. 
720, I think it's 722 BC, Judah would be destroyed. I mean, they're just about 15, 20 years from destruction. But if the people trusted in their military resources, they trusted in their water, they trusted in the commander, in the leadership of Hezekiah, they would be destroyed. They did not have enough horses. They did not have enough cavalry. They did not have enough technology to destroy them. If, they, if, if Hezekiah tries to make a bargain with them, they'll stop the siege. Everything will go away. Have you ever had that time in your life where someone says, if you give in, we'll let go. Hey, just, just sign over. Hey, it's just a little compromise, right? But a little bit. And a little bit, and a little bit, and a little bit. And by after a little while, you're far off from where you used to be. Christian, keep your mind on Christ. I'm going to have to end it there for the sake of time this morning. But we cannot go down to Egypt. I don't know what you're trusting in this morning. I don't know what's up against you. I don't know the battles you're facing. I don't know all of that's going on in your heart and mind. God does. Don't make a bargain. Figure out what God wants and do it. Keep your mind in the book. Don't get interrupted. Don't get distracted. Because if we do, we will fall just like the other heathen. Not the other heathen, but the heathen. Let me correct that statement. Keep your mind on Christ. You'll have peace. You said, but I don't have peace right now. Get back. Plead with God for peace. Spend some time, extra time with Him. Figure out what He wants. And do God's will. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this day. Father, I thank You for being our gracious Redeemer. I thank You for uh, the goodness and mercy You've bestowed upon us. Lord, I asked that you'd help us to be obedient. I pray that you'd help us to keep our hearts and minds fixed upon thee. Lord, I sure need your help. We all do. Lord, help us not to listen to the evil of this world and to fret and to rebel against God, but may we rebel against the voices which seek to draw us into destruction. May we not listen to the lies, but be found faithful. Father, I love you. I thank you. You may our gracious Savior. In your precious and holy name, I pray. Amen. God bless you.